Hello and welcome to the Aquariums Explained podcast. I'm Joe. And I'm Johnny. In this episode, we're speaking to the people behind America's newest public aquarium. Today, we are joined by two members of the team who designed, developed, and opened Aquarium at the Boardwalk. We start by discussing how the idea of building an aquarium in Branson, Missouri came to be and talk through what it took to get the facility up and running before the end of 2020. So grab yourself a drink, make yourself comfortable, and enjoy this conversation with the team behind America's newest public aquarium. Let's get into it. Hello, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Good to see you guys. So before we make a start, how was everybody's New Year's Eve? Did we all have fun saying goodbye to 2020? Well, um, mine was like uh, most of those people out there around the globe. Uh, it was with my lovely family indoors at my own house, uh, quarantined. So it wasn't the most memorable, but uh, still rewarding nonetheless. <laughs> what about you, Steve? Uh, same here. Yeah. Um, pet the dog for a little bit, sitting on the couch, and I think we were in bed by 930. Uh, so not too uh, ceremonious, but yeah, really nice for us. Thanks. Johnny, what did you do? Yeah, pretty much the same as everyone else. Stayed home and uh, watched some movies and then woke up the next morning and it was 2021. Great. I mean, <laughs> I managed to see in the new year, um, barely. <laughs> <laughs> Look at um, you. Yeah, well, I'm a, I'm a big boy now, grown up. <laughs> I, I, made it, I made it for the uh, midnight hour for the East Coast, not quite for the West Coast. So I was kind of in the same boat. <laughs> So, so let's do some quick introductions then. Um, we've got a we've got quite a full house today. Um, so first up, we have Steve Bitter. Hi guys, I'm Steve Bitter. I'm the director of husbandry at Aquarium at the Boardwalk in Branson, Missouri. Thanks so much for joining us, Steve. And we've also got Tage Sunder. Hi, yes, uh, my name's Tage Sunder. I'm one of the partners at Kubera Partners. Um, Aquarium at the Boardwalk is our first venture into the aquarium world. Uh, we're quite excited to bring this to market. Uh, we just opened uh, November 23rd of last year. Cool. Well, thank you guys both for joining Joe and I for this podcast, our first one for this year. We are very excited to talk to you guys about you know this new project and kind of where it began. So to kick off this episode, um, I could think of a lot of things that are possibly easier to build an aquarium. So what motivated you to build an aquarium? And then why did you guys choose Branson? Um, it was actually, uh, it's so we've been in, in Branson since 1996. We have uh, four attractions there uh, prior to the aquarium. Um, we came across a uh, property that was called the Grand, um, the Grand Palace property, which was a 4,000 seat theater that had been sitting there uh, dormant for many years, but a beautiful property nonetheless, right in the heart of Branson. Um, we were able to acquire that property. It's about 13 acres. And uh, we really wanted to make sure that we, uh, we, we made this property, uh, sorry, developed this property in the right way. And we wanted to open with a, a really big bang. So we reached out to the tourists of Branson. We really inquired and asked them, what did they really want to see? And I'll tell you that the aquarium was top of that list and second and third weren't even close. So having a background in attractions, we really had to do some soul searching because like you said, aquariums aren't the easiest to build, especially during a pandemic. Um, but we decided, you know, we had to bring in the right talent and the right knowledge to make sure that we built this um, and made it special. So it really was um, the tourists of Branson that, that really desired us. And then our desire to really trying to see this through. We're quite happy with the uh, final results. And I guess that, 
you know, it perfectly leads into the next question about raising public interest, community support, and even just capital for the project. How did that process go about? Um, so one of the real lucky things um, is we had been in that marketplace for a really long time. So since 1996, as I alluded to before, and as you can imagine, most of the people in Branson already knew of our organization, of our family, because we are a family business, and also of one of our key directors being Chuck O'Day, who's worked with us for roughly 24 years now. So as far as getting excitement, um, we just shared with them that, look, uh, an aquarium is really in high demand by our tourists. Um, and we think it'd be a great complement to an already very successful tourist market. So that's kind of, you know, getting buy-in really wasn't that hard. We had a lot of support um, by both the people of Branson, but also the uh, entities that represent them. Um, so that was quite that was quite easy. Um, and it's always nice to have support from the get-go. So we thank Branson and the city of Branson for that. Um, as far as the second portion of um, your question on how do we get this finance, um, this was uh, we're we're a private organization, and like I said, we're a family business. So we relied heavily on uh, both our own funds as well as debt from our banking partners. So there was two key uh, banks, Branson Bank and Citizen National Bank, who supported us on this endeavor. And then, uh, in addition to that, uh, we were able to work with the city of Branson and um, get a uh, TIF, which is tax increment financing from the city. And that's a vehicle that that takes a, a portion of the property tax increment. So the what, what we were paying and what we will be paying once the project is realized um, and putting that towards a TIF and then also uh, 50% of the sales tax revenue generated by the uh, project. Uh, this is a great vehicle um, for cities to try to uh, bring in uh, re- uh, sorry, bring in new funds and regenerate uh, a property that has been sitting dormant for quite a while. That's great. I mean, it sounds like the the city, you know, really incentivized you to to bring this to life. It sounds like they really support it as a venture. Yeah, that, it was it was a lot of teamwork. Um, the Grand Palace was just a beautiful, beautiful building, but it had fallen in, uh, into pretty bad space. Uh, there was a lot of blight. lot of black mold um so one of the conditions was to bring this property um up to snuff to really represent branson and and we think we've started that endeavor and so so what's the narrative of the of the aquarium you know is there is there a storyline what what is it that you hope people will will experience when they when they visit um yes we we really relied heavily on the thematics of the experience so we wanted to take everybody on a journey. So we're a very, very linear experience. You start in one place and everybody ends in the, in the, in the, uh, the same place. And, and the journey is the same. So it's easier to tell that story. The concept here is um, we're on a property called Branson Boardwalk. That's the larger entertainment complex. Um, so we are called Aquarium at the Boardwalk. So we kind of utilize that tongue in cheek. So the very first set as you walk in is a kind of a classic boardwalk at the end of that boardwalk there is a submarine and um so as you experience that boardwalk you come across all these aquatic themed experiences at the very end you get on a uh, submarine ride and that submarine ride introduces you to two main characters we have aquarius the octopus and finn the pufferfish and uh 
really how you encounter them is on a 5D ride. You go on this journey with them through the ocean. The concept is, is you land at the very bottom of the ocean that they lead you to. Uh, and it's called the observation station. And we wanted to create an experience in the film that dropped you off at this observation station at the bottom of the ocean. So it was really, really believable. So as you get off the film, you uh, then encounter our first um, view into our uh, main habitat. And the real, the real goal there is have the customers believe that not that they're coming into aquarium looking in, but that they're at the bottom of the ocean looking out and really trying to play with people's minds. And as we do that, you then take a journey through the balance of the uh, property and you come into these different environments, 10 in total, and uh, you're slowly coming back to the, the, the top of the uh, ocean. And so we really wanted to sell people on that concept. And from initial feedback, it feels like we are, uh, uh, people are really um, vibing and understanding that uh, storyline. So speaking of bringing the ocean to people on our podcast, we've got you know a variety of listeners. Some people are from the aquarium industry. Some people have never worked in an aquarium. And I guess the next question for you guys would be, how do you bring the ocean to the middle of North America? You know, you're about maybe a 10 plus hour drive from the nearest beach. What goes into even just making the water for these animals that you're housing? Yeah, um, we are uh, uh, pretty fortunate that there's um, pretty decent municipal water supply here. But you're right, we're, we're making artificial seawater um, from scratch. The uh, uh, mix that we're using currently is a natural dehydrated blend. So, um, you know, pretty standard for those that have, uh, you know, worked in the industry and we're using, um, you know, large quantity super sacks and, and reconstituting that. But, um, uh, you know, I came from the Sonoran desert and, uh, our water quality out there was much, much more challenging. So, um, you know, as a, as an aquarist and somebody that's, um, planning for water quality, it's been really refreshing to have, uh, you know, pretty good source water here to work with. So, uh, we carbon filter it, um, add the salt mix to it and, uh, we mix it up in, in pretty significant quantity. We've got, um, a mixing reservoir able to do about 10,000 gallons, um, you know, at a, at a super sack pretty easily. Uh, we have, a, a clean saltwater storage then. So we sort of bank saltwater as it mixes. And so we keep a pretty good reserve on hand. Um, but there were some things that went into the design of this aquarium too, that, uh, you know, as you say, the salt water is not easy to come by around here. And so we wanted to um, design it in a very efficient way and, and uh, not burn through salt as much as possible and, and not discharge a lot of salt into the you know surrounding environment. So um, we use drum filters here that, uh, you know, remove waste directly sort of in real time, which is a kind of a recent novel technique in, in aquariums comparatively. You know, normally you'd use um, you know, high pressure sand filters to move water around your building and that sort of thing, which, um, you know, ha have an application here as well in our smaller systems. But these drum filters are a, a pretty interesting way to try to minimize how much water we have to burn through and, and try to keep the, the purity really high. Um, so uh, that combined with, um, you know, a lot of automation in the building and a lot of uh, uh, like pretty, pretty high tech um, filtration um, comparatively, you know, for an aquarium this size, uh, it's going to be something that, um, hopefully will pay off, you know, when we're not using as much salt, not, not having to burn through as much salt water. It's been pretty fun. Steve, there are something like, uh, 30,000 species of, of known fish, I think something like that. Um, how did you approach the decision 
uh, on which fish to to exhibit, which species to exhibit, and and how involved were you in the transport and the acclimation of of the animals? Is that something that you did in house, or is that something that you you um, you defer to external suppliers and contractors on? Well, I think it's um, it's been a weird year for that, and I think our our plans had to deviate a lot. Um, you know, going back to the planning, uh, I came onto the project in the middle of the summer of 2019, and um, uh, you know there was uh, an architectural plan. A lot of our exhibits had sort of been um, designed for purpose to to showcase specific animals that we knew wanted to be um, you know sort of a feature of the aquarium, and there were a number of really talented people sort of put that plan together. Um, but when I came on, um, you know, Kuvera, despite having just met me, you know, three, four weeks prior or whatever it was, um, basically gave me the, the animal plan and said, Hey, what do you think, you know, put something together that, that would be compelling. Um, and so I got to have a ton of creative freedom and, and, um, you know, really, really got to formulate all of these fish communities, um, with pretty much, you know, hundred percent autonomy. So, you know, for good or ill, this is, this is my animal plan that we're seeing here in the building. And, um, I've been really excited by it pretty, uh, you know, pretty much start to finish. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously, um, getting this many animals into this, this inland location is a challenge. And, um, one of the unique things about Branson is it's, uh, it's a really busy, tourism wise, but it's not a big city. You know, we don't have a lot of the the critical infrastructure that you would have um, in a place where like a, a public aquarium normally would be. You know, this isn't a massive metro area and uh, Tage can check me on my numbers, but I, I think there's something like 15,000 residents of the city, but a lot of times we'll say in house, you know, we get 9 million tourists or something in a, a normal year. Um, so it's, you know, there's, there's not a lot of infrastructure to support that much activity. And so we don't have a, an air cargo terminal nearby and we don't have a lot of the, the major, um, kind of freight infrastructure. And then when you combine that with, you, you know, the, the freight in, interruptions that we've had through the COVID pandemic, um, it, it was a strange year to try to get animals here. So, um, you know, our nearest international, uh, terminal is, is Dallas. And so we knew a lot of our international stuff would have to come in there. Um, we do have uh, uh, cargo terminals in in state here in Kansas City and St. Louis, and you know your listeners in the industry know that um, to ship fish, they're oftentimes uh, certainly coming by airplane, and they're often hitching a ride with uh, like commuter cargo or commuter air traffic, right? So people are flying, and, and you know the fish have to catch a ride there rather than direct cargo planes. Um, so when all the the passenger traffic shut down, that created a lot of uh, scheduling issues for us and, and things that we weren't really expecting. But, um, you know, ultimately we, we were able to follow our, our, um, acquisition plans on this. And that's, that's so important. I heard you guys talk with, uh, Joao in the last episode, um, about this and, uh, just trying to, to be really ethical and deliberate about where we bring our animals from and, and try to, um, you know, analyze every single decision, even though we were, we were, uh, you know, bringing in this quantity of animals to, to kind of build this place. And, and prioritize, um, you know, what we thought was the best uh, sort of acquisition decision to make there. And, um, uh, you know, real quick, you know, I think, I think pretty standard, uh, whether it's massive aquarium companies or, or um, you know, small places, we typically prioritize things the same way, um, which is, you know, surplus animals that are looking for a new home. Um, are, are up near the top of that decision tree and, and then, uh, you know, aquaculture or minimal impact, um, you know, captive, captive born animals would be, uh, preferable. 
Um, and then you look at uh, for species that we either don't know how to breed yet or, or aren't available. Um, then you're going to look at wild collection. And so that's where some of that freight stuff became, became a challenge. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was an interesting process. And, and, um, especially with the wild stuff that, uh, I was so fortunate to, to have the planning time that we had because I was able to, um, really vet every single, uh, origin for all the, the species we brought. And, and we were, um, almost 50% aquacultured when we uh, opened this aquarium, which is, um, no way. I, yeah. I felt like that was a really big achievement. And, uh, that is, so, I mean, for people that don't know, that's, um, you know, 50, 50% is a, is a, is a very uh, competitive number. <laughs> that's yeah, really good. We were, we were really lucky and, and, you know, that doesn't, um, encompass the diversity necessarily that, that you would need, but when, you know, the animals that we have large numbers of, there was very deliberate, you know, we'd want to bring in cultured animals and, uh, so you know everything from from um, grunts and jellies and and uh, you know even our damselfish uh, most species were were cultured so um, that was really really fun to to have that kind of um, uh, like result at the end you know to have that availability and and to be able to bring those animals in that that uh, we just felt really good about where they were coming from um, and then the other thing that we did was we we built a, a quarantine facility so that we could stage all the animals here and try to make that um, that stocking process or, or, um, you know, just have a really nice smooth ride for them to get into the the building here. Um, the quarantine facility that we built is, um, beautiful. It was a, a built for purpose warehouse that, uh, has about 60,000 gallons worth of, um, you know, various size systems and, um, provided a really good home base for us to, to, um, just, acclimate and settle and uh, get to know all the animals that were going to be in the building here and set us up for a really good successful stocking. Okay, that's actually really interesting. So so you brought the animals into a staging area and then moved them I, I guess in in one go or in in a single, you know, batch into the aquarium rather than bringing them into the aquarium directly. We did. We did. And that that gave us that's a lot cool. of advantages, you know, because freight was going to be really unpredictable um and uh you know, you guys have been through aquarium openings. The the timeline at the very end of it is always um very tight um because construction no matter what you are building seems to be uh you know, always running a little behind schedule and it's tough to to pin down your deadlines and so um you know, being able to bring the animals in when they were ready and be able to just have them comfortable here um you know, it was it was certainly an expense um for the, the company to create, but we were so fortunate that they did, uh, cause it let us, you know, just lead to a lot better animal health outcomes and it let us do, um, a lot better planning and, and, uh, you know, we could, we could care for the animals a lot better along the way, knowing that they had somewhere safe to go. We weren't at the mercy of, of a construction site. Yeah, of course. Um, so I guess this next question is for both of you guys, and it really just is pertaining to, you know, recruiting a team to, run this facility. There's so many things that go into making an aquarium successful, whether it's the aquarist, the life support team, the guest relations people front of house. Um, how, how did you guys go about recruiting and training the team that runs America's newest aquarium? Well, I'll kind of start and then I'm going to defer to uh, Steve because he had a different um, uh, responsibility in bringing in all this talent. Um, so we really have two main departments, uh, groups. Um, we have Chuck O'Day, who's running the facility, who also built the facility. So he was our director of construction and opening. So as I alluded to before, 
the idea that the person running it also built it is very, very helpful. He's been with our group over 24 years, and so that's been great. Uh, we have an operations side, um, which Susie is running. She's our director of operations, and they brought in just a fantastic team. And I think being the new, bigger thing in town, we were really able to uh, get some of the best talent Branson has to offer. Um, and then, you know, we were lucky enough to bring in Steve with his pedigree. Um, and he was really responsible in putting together what I think is a world-class team. So I'll kind of hand it over to Steve to kind of frame uh, what he did here. But I know he's doing just an amazing job. Steve? Uh, thanks, Sage. Yeah, um, th- well, we've been so fortunate uh, top to bottom with the the Aquarius team that we've put together here. And um, uh, I think it's the most important thing we can do for our animals, you know, um, and, and for the facility as a whole hiring is, um, the most important thing that we do. And, uh, you know, it's always an imperfect science, but, um, I've just been really, really fortunate. I've, I've uh, been having this conversation quite a bit recently. And, um, one of my favorite things about, uh, looking ahead is, you know, if we have to hire again here, um, the, the team that we built, um, really doesn't have any glaring weaknesses. You know, you guys have, have been part of building teams before and usually you're, you're at the mercy of, of sort of what your animal collection demands. So you, you, you know, you've got all these coral exhibits, you don't have any coral people or, or you need a, a jelly specialist or training people or whatever. And, um, you know, I, I feel like I've got really, really strong skills across my whole team that kind of covers everything that we need to do here. And, uh, just makes it a joy to watch them work, you know, and it makes my job a lot easier um, and, uh, you know, to, to put that team together, watch them gel together, uh, especially in such a, a trying year, um, just externally, there's been so many distractions and so many, uh, crazy things to worry about. Um, uh, this team's really, really kept their eye on, you know, the most important things and, and they're fun to work with. So, you know, looking ahead, um, it, I think we've got a lot to build on here and, uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm super excited about that. We, I, I had a I had a sit down with one one of my partners the other day, day, and he was actually yesterday, and we just shared how lucky we were to be able to put together such a great team. Um, a lot of that, obviously, on the husbandry side, revolved around Steve. Uh, people knew of Steve in the in this industry, and um, he was able to bring in stars at every position and how he's structured and, and organized these people. Um, we're proud of everyone on this team and, and just amazed. Uh, we asked a lot of them to get us open and uh, nothing but uh, success with, with doing so and the energy. Um, you guys know opening an aquarium is, is a really tough thing, but opening an aquarium during a pandemic, uh, it's totally different. And uh, we were just so lucky that Steve had such good energy amongst his team. And I think it sh- is showcased in each of the uh, exhibits um, that you see when you walk through a facility. Thanks, Tate. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think, um, you know, uh, it's, it's the most important thing we do, like I say. And um, it's uh, probably the, the one thing I'll take some credit for around here. I feel like I've... Uh, watched a lot of people do a lot of really great work around here, but, um, you know, we got the right people in the right spots and that's been really fun. Yeah. That definitely, uh, makes, make, makes opening a facility a lot, a lot more enjoyable. Um, so speaking of opening now, what has the public's response been to the aquarium? 
I, excitement is definitely one word that comes to mind. Um, we've we've had a lot of different accolades. Uh, we we I believe or we believe that we could have put this aquarium in any corner of the earth, and people would have just been excited to experience it. And the the quality um, of the experience is to us top notch. So whether it's in Brant's, Missouri, or Los Angeles, or Australia, we think that this aquarium stands on its own, and we're hearing a lot of positive things. Um, uh, some of the coming from an attraction background, some of the bigger compliments is it's a Disney quality experience, which is you know top marks uh, for oh, that's us. A huge compliment, yeah, yeah. <laughs> huge compliment. Um, so we were, we were very excited. We wanted to make sure there was something for everything, everyone, um, whether it be you know small. Uh, Aquarius is hidden throughout to kind of slow the the younger kids down because we've all been in aquariums where kids sprint through, um, or the signage that really speaks to kind of um, the older people trying to really understand um, a little background on each of these species. Uh, we've tried to capture it all, um, and we've really focused on fish and fun, and that's kind of been our mantra throughout. We want to really ex- uh, extend the beauty of each of these species uh, in the facility. And, and aquariums, you know, just like any other attraction, I guess, are, they evolve over time. Um, what are your ambitions or plans for the aquarium over the, you know, the, the coming months and, and, and years? Well, we've only been open since the 23rd of no- November, so we're just still kind of capturing our breath on, on, on next steps. Um, when we were building this facility, uh, we wanted to make sure that people experienced something completely different in this facility than they had in, in others. So for example, we have our um, uh, jellyfish uh, bloom room, which is a, a mirror maze of sorts where it's really- I, I saw photos, it looks super trippy. Yeah, so it amplifies, so it makes you feel like you're actually walking through a jellyfish bloom. Um, so that's kind of something we've never seen before. Uh, we wanted this to be a, a really, awesome new experience. So that's what we focused on um, initially. Uh, we want to maintain the same quality and there is discussions of adding on, but right now we're just capturing our breath and trying to get through this great Christmas uh, season. Great. And um, um, Tej, you've said already, you know, opening an aquarium is one thing, doing it in the middle of a pandemic is another. <laughs> um, but everybody likes a challenge to a certain extent. Uh, I guess this is a question to, to both of you just before we bring things to a close. Um, would you do this all again if you had a choice or would you, would you hold off and, and wait until 2020 was over and done with? Well, they, they say hindsight's 2020, right? Um, and that's actually true, uh, today as we stand here, but, and thank goodness. Um, I think in life, every experience, uh, uh, is is it just that an experience? Um, if you would ask us, would we like to start this during a pandemic? I like challenges as much as the next person, but I would probably prefer to have done it outside of this. Um, but I think this speaks to a lot of what Steve was alluding to: is um, a lot of teams could have cracked through this process, and and really, there's two options: it's it's crack or buckle down and get it done. And um, in a way, I I think this experience maybe galvanized the team a little bit more than if we did it in in normal times. Um, But I'm thoroughly impressed with the global team, um, both operations and husbandry of of getting this open. So I'm glad we are open. Um, I'm glad we're putting smiles on people's faces. Um, And I'm glad it was all done in in 2020. Um, I think 
uh, we have some great things looking forward. Um, I'm glad that we were able to bring uh, Steve Bitter on this team. Um, he's just made us all the better, and, and the team that he's put together with Mike Bajak and other team members, uh, it's, it's just been phenomenal. So, yes, I'm glad we actually got it open in 2020, but probably wouldn't have chosen a pandemic to do it in the future. But that's just my knee jerk. <laughs> and Steve, what about you? Uh, this was my, um, I don't even know, the seventh or eighth aquarium facility opening. And I've done quite a few of these. Um, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I've heard people tell me they would never do a second one. Um, and uh, there's people on my team that tell me they think I'm addicted to this sort of. Uh, uh, you know, intensity and, and adrenaline that comes with an opening. Mm, they might have a um, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, maybe, but, um, you know, I think it's an interesting thing thinking in hindsight because, um, uh, you know, as I say, it, we didn't know we were going into this kind of a, a global situation and we'd have all the same distractions. And, and, you know, I think we were really fortunate in probably how little that manifested. Um, you know, our team has stayed safe, you know, knock wood and, and, um, We've been really, really lucky that uh, we've been able to mostly keep working through this year. And so, um, you know, we stayed nice and busy. And, um, you know, so many aquariums have gone through so much difficulty and, and you know, lost staff or reduced budgets or whatever. And, um, you know, this this company had the discipline to, to, you know, really stay the course and keep key people on. And um, that meant that my team could, could uh, you know, really function as normal. And, and I'll always be grateful for that. Yeah. But, um you know, I don't know um, how much different this would have been had the pandemic not happened. Obviously, we had things that, um, you know, we had to be conscious of and the world was quite different. Uh, and I mentioned, you know, some of the freight challenges and availability of different, uh, you know, supplies. You know, there was different interruptions with that sort of thing. But, um, you know, ultimately, uh, looking back, I think we were really lucky with with how well we were able to function in this this construction site and, and this project. And, um I'm thrilled with the results. You know, it's it's been really fun to watch it take shape through the the planning process and uh, you know the collection planning process and uh, designing all the the habitats and doing the theming and then seeing it all come together. I mean that that joy is um, every bit as real on this project as it has been on the other ones. Um, maybe even more so because we had to fight so hard for it. You know, and uh, so yeah, I probably would do it again if I'm honest. We've been, yeah we built a number of attractions throughout the years and you always have expectations and not always do you do you build something that exceeds the original expectations uh but this aquarium did so for us and and maybe it was that additional focus we had to put on it during the pandemic that just made sure we crossed the line i will say that everything we envisioned to set out to do we did achieve which which is great especially under the conditions that we had and 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 we were just lucky to get it done so we're very appreciative of that no doubt. All right. Well, thank you guys both so much for joining Joe and I. We've, you know, just really enjoyed about hearing kind of the story and the process of getting this facility up and running. Um, congratulations on your recent opening and yeah. wish you the best of luck in the future. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks, guys. Good to talk Thanks to you. Thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, guys. Aquariums Explained is a podcast from the International Zoo and Aquarium Review. We're sponsored by Orca, the creators of the Animal Welfare app, a full-featured web-based aquarium and zoological records and communication system. It's created and run by animal professionals for animal professionals, and you can check it out at orca.com. That's O-E-R-C-A dot com. If you've been enjoying the podcast, then why not tell a friend? 
You could send a link to the show in your mate's WhatsApp group, or you could help us to reach even more people by sharing it on social media. We've got lots of other episodes that you might be interested in. Just search Aquariums Explained on your favourite podcast platform. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next one. Bye.